The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, Welcome to the show, my friends. Show about money indeed. I am Wolfgang Klein. Welcome. Jack Hartle, my portfolio manager, partner in crime. Uh, Jack, how are you doing today? Very well, Wolf. Very well. Thanks. Uh, Don Velo, uh, market technician. Uh, she was a friend of mine for over 20 years, uh, a veteran on Bay Street. Don has worked in the industry for over five decades. He's, uh, he just doesn't retire. Uh, he just keeps going and uh, publishing and writing. And uh, it's a pleasure to spend some time with him, uh, get his views. He is a, a, a chartered technician, and he's also uh, very much focused on seasonal investing. Um, and if we may, Don, let's start with the big picture to begin with. Uh, the market's been very volatile, uh, as we all know, this year. Um, but at the same time, quite resilient in many ways. Uh, what is noticeable is the amount of rotation that has taken place. Uh, tech stocks and growth stocks have been sold down and the value theme, which is very much what Canada is, uh, has woken up Canadian market positive on the year while the U.S. market and global markets remain uh, negative on the year. Uh, coupled with something I learned in rookie school uh, back when I first met you, Don, and that is uh, with respect to geopolitical events, uh, notably wars, uh, when the bombs fall, that's the buy signal. Uh, any merit? To, any merit to my last statement? And welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, it turns out that there are certain sectors that clearly would benefit when that happens. The defensive sector is clearly one, that uh, sector that will benefit. Others are the uh, things like the material sector, uh, companies that produce copper, zinc, steel, that kind of thing. And these are the kinds of stocks which benefit uh, under a kind of a war scenario. Uh, Don, when you look at the charts, which you do uh, frequently, uh, the commodity run that we have witnessed, uh, Fidelity put out a very good piece. I shared it on my uh, private client conference call that Jack and I host about once a month, the exclusive to clients, members of the Wolf on Bay Street Club. Um, and it was a great chart, but it, 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 it reminded Jack and I that these commodities have had a nice run. In other words, past tense, that is what has, has occurred. And it doesn't mean it's going to continue to with the same trajectory. And in fact, it looks like some of these commodities are already trading, I'd say, two standard deviations from their mean when you look at the historical move that they have had. Uh, can you speak to that point, Don? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a reason why the, uh, the uh, should we say, risk-on assets uh, like uh, the metals and the uh, Deal and so on have done very well. It has a lot to do with the uh, seasonality. Historically, seasonal influences are favorable uh, for uh, North American equity markets from around the middle of uh, March right through until, until at least the early summer and frequently until around the middle of July. We seem to be going through that kind of a period right now. And it's most notable in, uh, in the case of the West, uh, we're seeing strength happening with the uh, so-called infrastructure stocks. These will all benefit from that uh, huge uh, infrastructure program that was passed by Congress uh, late last year. 
They're going to spend $1.7 trillion on uh, improving airports, building roads, uh, supporting uh, electronic uh, use, things like e-cards and so on, et cetera. So that uh, trend really became uh, fully established right around the middle of March this, this year. Prior to that, we had a nice correction, brought prices down to reasonable prices. And now we're starting to see some really good action on the upside. Most notably in Canada, we've seen the TSE composite respond very, very strong to improving commodity prices. Uh, the TSE composite just went to an all-time high just during the last week or so. Looks like it will continue doing that right through until at least the summer. Well, again, from a, from a... Oh, yeah, please, Jack. Yeah, no, I would just add in there. Some of these commodities as well, it's really due to the, the base effects. So you look at, uh, you know, whether it's uranium or oil, like uranium was dead money since Fukushima back in 2011. It didn't do anything. Germany was shutting down reactors. Um, it was it was a dark time for uranium. Uh, you look at oil back in the fact that, you know, uh, with the shutdowns because of COVID, uh, it went negative. Um, so when you look at the percentage uh, returns on some of those charts that we saw from Fidelity, uh, a lot of it is due to base effects, uh, meaning a lot of those commodities did nothing for 10 years. And then all of a sudden you have a catalyst. Um, again, the Ukrainian situation is a humanitarian uh, disaster. It's very unfortunate. But for copper, uranium, oil, all those things that were quietly just sitting there doing nothing basically for 10 years, they finally had a catalyst. And Ukraine situation exposed the fact that, you know, we're very... Um, reliant on Russia for all of these things. Um, the good news for Canada is we also produce a lot of the same stuff. So as Don said, you know, TSX is making all-time highs um, as we speak. And some of it's due to seasonality, but a lot of it is also due to the fact that, you know, we are a safe uh, supplier of a lot of these commodities. Well, this, this ESG theme has, has had a huge impact on why commodity prices are so high today. Jack, you, you pointed this out to me a year ago, um, and, and I completely uh, bought into your, your, your belief and thesis um, uh, in that when, when you're trying to go non-carbon or, or carbon neutral, carbon zero, uh, you, you stop putting money to traditional carbon, which reduces supply and demand remains steady. Uh, all of a sudden, prices go higher. Throw in a geopolitical event, uh, again, a Six Sigma event, um, that is unexpected and look at the dislocation and further upward trajectory commodity prices have had. I continue to, to stress that point. They've had such a great move. But so yeah, Jack's point is oil was free, oil was zero, oil is now 130. So it, well, you can't even do math on that. What, what percentage move when something moves off of zero, right? Do you, I don't know, Jack, you're smarter math than I am, but I know your, your calculator will, will I would say that error. The point is that they were, they were dead money for a long time. So it's they were. Investors that were patient, uh, patiently waiting, are finally getting rewarded there. But uh, as you said, you know, uh, the whole, especially the Western world wants to go green. But a lot of it, I think, is somewhat greenwashing. Like if you're, you know, offshoring stuff over to, to China or Bangladesh and countries where, you know, we don't use coal here as much as they do. But if we're getting all our, you know, goods from them or a lot of our goods, you know, you're, you're just basically pushing stuff over to jurisdictions that have, you know, lower uh, employment standards, um, increased uh, environmental issues. So there's... Some of the, um, like I said, a lot of the uh, the greenwashing that you see is because, you know, Canadians don't want it in their backyard. They don't want a, a coal plant or whatever the case. But, you know, they're, they're certainly happy to get, you know, cheaper T-shirts and, you know, refrigerators and, and dishwashers, those types of things. 
from those less friendly, I guess, jurisdictions. Hey, Don, I want you to pipe in here. And again, you, you have enough wisdom and experience with the markets. And again, of course, we have to pay attention to 11 different sectors and try to become experts in, in, in each of those sectors. And again, so we're speaking now about energy. And Jack, I want you to pipe in as well. No, I want you to pipe in as well on this one here, Jack. But so, so let's think now about Germany and its relationship with Russia. Uh, the, the carbon relationship that they had was significant. Uh, they just turned that off. At the same time, if I'm not mistaken, um, Germany, I think, is vowing to move away from nuclear. Uh, it is the power, it is the industrial powerhouse of Europe. Uh, what is Germany to do to, to, to get its jewels of output energy uh, if it's not going to use uh, nuclear and will no longer have a source from uh, Russia? What's it going to do? It's fascinating because uh, particularly Germany, they have made some very strange policy changes during the last little while. They had a plan to shut down uh, two of the four nuclear power plants that they had. Now all of a sudden... Uh, Looks like they're not going to do that because they really need that energy, particularly if they're not getting uh, natural gas from from Russia, which they've been doing up to now. Well, that, that tells you something. It tells you that the uh, nuclear power area is, is, is really starting to wake up, uh, not only in Europe, but also here in North America. We've seen uranium prices over the last uh, six months almost double, which is a, really quite amazing. And you've seen... Yeah, I'm sorry, how, how much is a pound of yellow cake, as they call it? Yeah, it's around. And it sells by the pound, friends. How much? Fifty-five dollars U.S. per pound. Yeah, is that, is that the spot price? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but again, friends at home, I, I have to step in here on this. Um, the the spot market in uranium is very illiquid and very very thin. Uh, it's by appointment only, as they say. So I was taught don't pay too much attention to spot. Um, more, more importantly, what are they renewing those long term? Uh, supply agreements with the uh, power producers because uh, they, they set up long-term contracts to supply uh, reliable, predictable amounts of uh, yellow cake to all of the power producers who require it. Uh, exactly. And I'm curious how those contracts, how those contracts are going to roll out as they renegotiate those deals. Uh, but certainly, you know, Jack and I have been holding Cameco, uh, Canada's or the world's Canada's largest and the world's second largest uranium producer, uh, and the stock looks. Absolutely gorgeous, doesn't it, Don? Yeah, just uh, don't forget the uh, ETF that covers that sector, too. It's the symbol is URA, and it's basically a basket of uranium stocks. Clearly, chemical is a big part of that, uh, but something to also consider if you're looking at uranium. Well, nice way to diversify yourself in the space. Speaking with my friend Don Velo, a market technician, uh, a true veteran on Bay Street, a very passionate uh, man when it comes to the world of high finance, uh, very well learned. Uh, in this business, my friends, experience matters. You got to put in the time. Once you do, all powerful. We're going to get a little commercial break in here for you and come right back to the show about money, Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager, along with my partner Jack Hartle, portfolio manager. Uh, any questions for us, please, wolfgangkline.com. Uh, we shall respond to them all. Stay tuned. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back, my friends. Little spring in our stride this Saturday night. Let's have a little party, shall we? Uh, talking stock, we're talking money. Want to help you build some wealth. Uh, I always love to hang out with uh, the wise men uh, on Bain Wall Street. Uh, I learned so much. Uh, I am a sponge. Don Velo, uh, a real mentor of mine, I shall say. Uh, met him 21 years ago when I moved from broadcasting into uh, Veronta Bay Street. And Don was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, father figure, shall I say. Uh, guide, me, guide me along and uh, help me out. And I remember the market was real negative, uh, and I quickly became negative with it. Uh, and I was probably sitting 40% in cash for my clients at the time. And uh, the market started to just turn up a little bit, and I was denying the upward tick. Uh, fighting the upward tick. And I called Don. I said, Don, it, it's, it's just wrong. It shouldn't go up. The market should continue to fall. He said, well, don't fight it. You got to get long in here. If you hold too much cash and the market runs away, you're going to lose clients. He was dead right. Don, I will never forget that advice. You probably forgot giving me that advice because you gave me so much of it. But that really, really resonated with me. Um, and Jack, you'll laugh at this because I had a, I then bought into to Don's uh, thesis and uh, my buddy, your buddy Jack JJ, uh, him and I got into it back because he was helping me on the denial side, and I had to leave his deny camp and get into the, the optimistic camp. So we had a bet um, as, as to what the, if the Dow would hit ten thousand because that was below ten thousand back then. Unbelievable! It's now thirty-five thousand, by the way, friends. That's right. Two decades later, the Dow went from ten to thirty-five thousand, and that's actually underperformance against historical uh, measures. Um, nonetheless, we had a bet, and uh, I won the bet, and then we he doubled down like Fred Flintstone. We bet again that the market. It wouldn't go higher, and it did. I won again. He ended up owing me 10 lunches because we got two for one, two for one. <laughs> and of course, he never made good on any of them, but he too gave me a lot of advice, so I, I let him uh, get off scotch-free. So, anyway, that's, it's, Don, you helped me win a bet. You helped me make some money for my clients. You gave me a lot of good advice. And you know, I'm going to take, take away from that as well. I'll share it with you, my friends. Timing the market in a big manner is almost impossible to do consistently. Uh, on the periphery, when you make changes, you are speculating and timing, but that's just with a little bit of your money. You know, you know, five, 10%, you can constantly rotate through. And But the way you make money on Bay Street and on Wall Street is, what, is, is, is the way Warren Buffett taught Jack and I. You buy good businesses and you have to hang on to them. Log time with those companies. Facebook, Apple, Google, Royal Bank, Toronto Dominion Bank, Scotia Bank, go down the list. Commodity stocks are different. I will say commodity stocks are different. Do not fall in love with them. You buy them when they hate them and sell them when they love them. Uh, but we're going to pivot over right now from commodities into the healthcare space. That too, Don, is a very tricky space to play. Uh U.S. healthcare, you know, drives global healthcare, but the U.S. healthcare system is so different than our healthcare system. Um, uh, they have this company called uh, United Health. Uh, it's a benefits management company. It operates on margins of just under two percent, um, and it, it is ripe for destruction. But it never gets to, it never gets uh, destructed by technology. It continues to be a dominant player. Uh, you know, biotech is binary. Uh, big pharma is always under the scrutiny of uh, whoever is trying to get into power. Right now, they're in power, so it probably has a bit of a free pass for a little while. And then there's med tech, you know, which makes those hips and knees. And that part of the business is, is a little more tolerable. Um, 
anyways, Don, share with us, because I do like healthcare. Uh, Canada itself as an a index has very little healthcare. Uh, population is aging and there's more bodies on the planet. So certainly it is a growth industry, uh, but just a little trickier, I think, to invest in. Uh, Don, give us some guidance on it. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations because you've been investing in high-quality situations and, and that's in the best interest of your clients. When it comes to healthcare, uh, what I look at is a little bit of on the seasonality side of it. Historically, the healthcare sector does very well right from, would you believe, March the 15th right through until, usually until September of each year. And uh, that's uh, in the U.S., of course, because that's where the, the stocks uh, trade. But you can buy U.S. healthcare sector in exchange-traded funds that trade in Canadian dollars. There are several of them available. Let me mention the ones that I've been watching closely recently. Mm -hmm. ZUH, that's one from BMO. That's a basket of about 70 uh, U.S. healthcare stocks, equally weighted, so you don't have to be worried about one individual company having a big influence on on the value of the fund. Another one is uh, symbol is HHL, trades again on the on the TSX exchange. That's a different animal again. And what it, that is is a basket of uh, U.S. Uh, healthcare stocks that have covered call rights against them. So it's a bit of a different strategy. So if you want to uh, look to look for healthcare with income, you look at HHL. Mm. And if you want to just own the sector for a seasonal play between now and uh, September. Uh, ZUH is an excellent choice. You mentioned uh, they both, they, they, they trade, sorry, John, they both trade in Canadian dollars. Are they hedging out the currency exposure to the U.S. dollar? Because if you buy J&J, it's a U.S. company, U.S. denominated security, um, which means you are exposed to the movement of the U.S. dollar. Right now, the U.S. dollar, well, the Canadian dollar looks like it wants to push higher with crude. We'll see, but the... the from our, our work, the Canadian dollar is undervalued. It should be higher based on, you know, $100 crude plus. Very important. You can choose to trade this in Canadian dollars, which is hedged against currency, or you can buy the one which is not hedged. Really, it's your okay. choice. And mm-hmm. my preference is to, if you're a Canadian investor, just choose the Canadian choice. It's probably the easiest way of doing it. There's a reason why this is going to work. It's, See, right now we've got these COVID-19 infections, and slowly but surely the uh, disease is starting to uh, dissipate, should we say. And that means that uh, the healthcare sector is going to focus more on other things like surgeries and, and uh, medical implements, that kind of thing, which are much more higher margin. And therefore, that sector is in an optimal position to benefit from the recovery of the COVID-19 infection situation. Yeah, the healthcare industry has changed, um, and it is changing. As we, as a matter of fact, I just had a doctor appointment uh, prior to this radio show. Uh, my, my good doctor was 30 minutes late for the appointment. Not a problem. Uh, some doctors apparently give you a two-hour window. Mine didn't. He gave me a firm appointment. But uh, he called me just as this show was about to uh, be recorded. And uh, over the phone, uh, you know, diagnosed me. and We went through the situation and prescribed me uh, a solution. Um, so I didn't have to go to his office. I didn't have to burn any carbon to get there. Um, but the industry certainly, uh, Don, uh, has a lot of pent-up demand, a lot of deferred, delayed, pushed-off procedures that have to come to fruition. But all those other companies that were doing so well, um, the what are the, the, the testing stocks, right, correct, Jack, uh, for, for diagnostic, for testing, um, 
all of those companies that had a good move higher, uh, including, of course, the vaccination uh, producers, uh, you'd have to expect them to wane and money rotate into other parts of healthcare. Don? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, there are so many new things happening in that sector right now. And because of the change in the demand uh, after COVID-19 is gone, then uh, that means you have to be selective in where you go in your healthcare investments. In terms of the geopolitical crises that, that, that we're witnessing right now globally, how many different geopolitical conflicts that, that, that ended up in you know, uh, bombs being blasted and guns being fired have you worked through in your career, Don? Uh, and the way the market is acting and reacting presently, is it similar to the way it's previously acted during these types of times? Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, there's an index which helps you to figure out what's going on here hmm. called the VIX index. Uh, when the VIX index is going higher, that means that uh, scare tactics are getting higher and higher. The best time to be a buyer in the equity market is after the VIX reaches a, a very important peak. Because when it starts going down, that means the concerns about, uh, uh, about things like war are reduced, and people become more positive, and they start to buy stocks. And if you look at what's happened to the VIX during the last, uh, oh, let's say, a uh, couple of months, it peaked right around the 38 level, and just during the last uh, two weeks, it's starting to come down. That right now, it's down to 22%, which is quite a drop. But the key is to follow the trend of the VIX. The VIX is heading downward. When the VIX heads downward, stock prices move higher. We could see that VIX go all the way back down to the around the 15% level, which uh, would imply much higher equity prices over the next few months. Don and uh, Jack, feel free to pipe in, my buddy. Uh, Captain, Captain Jack, of course, uh, a former captain in the Canadian Reserves. But uh, I'm looking at, and thank you again for pointing out the VIX to me. Um, you know, the, the, all these different tools that we have available, you know, you use the tool for a period of time, then you put it back in the toolbox. And you say, mm, I want to take a look at that tool again. You put, and you're surprised when you revisit the chart. But I'm looking at the VIX chart. And Jack pays a lot of attention watching the VIX for our team. Uh, but I'm looking at the VIX chart right now, which is a measure of volatility. And this market did not get terribly volatile as the bombs fell or as, as the tanks were lining up uh, in front of the Ukraine. In fact, the VIX was twice as volatile, shall I say, uh, during the COVID scare uh, than, than, than it was at the uh, peak at the onset of what could potentially be the start of a World War III. Uh, but I'm saying because the VIX didn't spike, Don, and because the market really hasn't had any major sell-off, and in fact, the Canadian market is actually positive on the year, the market, with, its, with, with all of its wisdom, is telling me this conflict will end with the good guys winning. And again, no one's a winner in this conflict. When people say, gee, the, the, the Ukrainians are winning the battle. Winning? Really? Their, their cities are being bombed. Everyone is a loser. You, I, and, and, and the Russians, and the, everyone's a loser in this one here, and it's got to end. But the market is telling me it's going to end, Don. Again, did, did, any merit in my statement? Yeah, I like the idea of what, as the conflict in Ukraine starts to slow down, and looks like it's more of a stalemate now, when that eventually does end, it probably will within the next month, that also will be another very, very positive factor for, for North American equity markets. That'll be another reason for uh, less volatility in the markets, and by definition, a lower VIX as well. So that scenario pays, plays very well uh, right through until at least this summer. After that, we should look at it again. 
You know, it's funny. Jack said to me, and uh, I want you to pipe in here, Jack, in the last last minute and a half here. But you said to me, you said, Wolf, um, sure, from abroad, those Russians will dominate. But once it gets into a street fight, look out. And that's what we certainly have witnessed. Uh, uh, pipe in here, Jack. And also talk to me a little bit about the Russian dissension, if you, if I may, about the generals uh, who are starting to back away from the Kremlin. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I really think that they're seeing, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult war that they've engaged in. And uh, honestly, I don't even think that Putin realized how difficult it was going to be. Um, you know, uh, Russia has one of the biggest militaries in the world uh, outside of the U.S. And the fact is that, uh, you know, the Ukrainians really aren't, uh, I'm not going to say engaging them, but they're not really engaging them on, um, you know, the open field because that's not where they can win. So uh, the fact is, you know, if it gets to city fighting and urban warfare, that's one of the, the most difficult um, type of combat to win. And you can just look at what happened with, uh, you know, the U.S. and Iraq and some of the losses that they had there. But uh, I would say that this time is a little different, Wolf, in terms of the, the previous conflicts that you've had, just because of the fact that you have the, the world's largest nuclear power. They actually have more nuclear power than uh, the U.S., not military, but nuclear, um, you know, invading a, a European democratic country. So uh, it's very different. But uh, we had Sandy McIntyre on a couple of weeks ago, and what he was saying was very important. Is when you invest, you invest towards the most likely outcome. There's a range of probabilities. You want to make sure that your investments are aligned with the most likely outcome. And what you said is true. Most likely, uh, this war will uh, end, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. And uh, hopefully we can see the economic recovery continue. And in that type of a situation, you want to be long-risk assets like equities. And that's what the market and the VIX are both telling you. Good speak, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, the good guys will prevail. Um, may it happen sooner rather than later. Don Velo, market technician, good friend of mine. Uh, the grandfather of Bay Street, shall I say. Uh, such a pleasure uh, to have you on. Uh, I'm going to give you a little James Brown next time we bring you on, all right? The grandfather of Funk, setting it up for Don Velo. It'll be a lot of fun, Don. Have a good weekend, my friend. Uh, quick break. Get right back to the show about money. Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And a Jack at the Wheels of Steel to cue up a song, and that's what he picked for us. Quite appropriate. Well done, Jack. Uh, well, let's uh, speak to our uh, chief North American strategist, uh, Mr. Martin Roberge. Good waspy name. Martin, welcome back to the show, my friend. Uh, how are you? I'm good, and thanks for having me. Our last guest was just uh, pointing me back to the old uh, Vixie poo the VIX indicator. Friends at home, if you don't know what the VIX is, it's an instrument that trades. It's it's the difference between the price of short-term puts and long-term puts uh, divided by short-term calls and long-term calls, the spread paid for the two. It basically is looking at the price of insuring your portfolio 
And so when, when the market gets riskier, the, the cost to protect it by the use of options, puts and calls, to protect your position goes up. Uh, so just, just to help you get a better understanding of how it's measured and why it uh, moves the way it does. But the VIX itself, the, the, the options market's telling us this conflict is being relatively contained. And with all the d global um, bottlenecks that have occurred during COVID, you know, locking Russia and, of course, by default, Ukraine out of the global commodity market, um, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised there hasn't been further dislocation uh, to uh, sectors across the board beyond just the first derivative, which are the commodities themselves pushing higher. Can you speak to that, Martin? Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's another layer. Like, actually, we gotta we gotta say that even before the the Russian uh, Ukraine conflict, uh, like you, you, we could see that uh, supply chain uh, disruptions were were uh, uh, were being seen like all around the world. Uh, the problem is that once when we got that that conflict that that war, like it it added added another layer of of, of risk. On, on the energy front, because Russia is such a huge provider of not only oil but products as well and natural gas, so it's it's the second largest producer of, of products, all the products in the world, and we we know that uh, you know you, you got to if 10 million barrels a day of production is not going anywhere, well you're tightening the energy market uh, quite dramatically, and it feeds on the the supply chain, it feeds to other commodities such as fertilizers, uh, agricultural products as well. So this, this, like we're going through probably the perfect storm when it comes to uh, supply chain and dis uh, disruptions, pressure on commodity prices, uh, and this is probably uh, be uh, something that uh, that looks similar to what we saw in 2008 when the barrel of oil. I hit almost one one fifty a hundred fifty dollars in in June two thousand eight. Well, uh, Martin, I have to thank you, uh, and I know Jack wants to thank you as well. Um, uh, merci beaucoup, mon ami. Uh, a year ago, you helped uh, Jack and I reposition our portfolios. Uh, the, uh, a change change was a coming last March. You could see it. Tech began to get toppy, and you saw it. These names that are, that are the stars today begin to hit bottom and turn the corner. I'm speaking about uh, energy stocks, pipeline stocks. Uh, the REITs were pretty stable right through. Mainly that commodity space, along with the value trade overall, um, yeah. looked like it was it was it was getting set for some uh, for for a decent move. So as such, we 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 increased our commodity position, uh, Martin, probably from about nine percent to twenty five percent. And we reduced our tech position from probably 30% down to 15%. Um, the trade, of course, or the change didn't work right away. It never does. We, we were investing for the next year or two. And sure enough, uh, you fast forward, those changes we made, I'd say 80% of them have been very, very fruitful. And the ones that didn't work out were basically flat. So uh, uh, I thank you very much for joining us today. I want to... Uh, I'm going to do my job live on the radio and ask you, how do you think we should be positioned today uh, looking forward 12 to 18 months? Uh, what do you like? What sectors are you really keen on? What countries are you keen on? And what don't you like? What should we, what should we, what should we be yeah. underweight, uh, uh, Martin? Yeah. 
the um, there's no like again if we divide the block the, the world in two parts and then and four parts and then two parts we've got four parts we've got Canada U.S. we've got Europe uh, what we call easy markets and we've got emerging markets mm-hmm. there's no doubt that when you start from top to bottom you've got to be in North America and maybe like like we've been diversifying away into global markets for for ten years. But I think starting this year and probably late last year, uh, it was a it was a time when we, we especially when we saw this this conflict erupting, to to start bringing back some of that money home. And one of the reasons for that is that when you look at global equity investors, the, some of them do what we call ESG investing. So they invest in, in in companies, they rate companies, and when you have companies dealing with, for example, Russia let's say an airline company getting huh. its uh, jet fuel from Russia. Well, if you're a global equity manager, you've got to move away from that airline company and real- reallocate that, that cash elsewhere in the world. So if you apply that, there are so many companies in Europe still dealing with Russia that you have to start standing back and moving hmm. that, that money from the, the old continent in North America because, like, we are more responsible producers when it comes to energy production. So North America is the first place to start. And then within North America, I think there's still room for, again, like what we call value stocks, commodity stocks to thrive. But there will be a, there will be a shift eventually into the more defensive areas, probably going into the second half of the year. So we're going to have to be nimble and advisors we need to, to, to guide their clients in those right, the, the right defensive sectors because there's probably a likelihood that we have more than 50% chance of, of a recession over the next 12 to 18 months. So we're going to have to deal with that by putting more money into the defensive areas of the market. I haven't heard the R word in a long time. Uh, Martin, uh, are you trying to bring us down? I don't think so. You're just trying to guide us um, and stay dispassionate. That's very smart. Speaking with Martin Reberge, our chief North American strategist at Canaccord uh, Genuity, it's a delight to have access to such brilliant minds uh, to help us better serve our clients. Going to take a quick break and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. So about money. I'm Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager. I help people build and maintain wealth. That's what it's all about. Have more than you need, and then you can do so much good and take care of yourself and those around you. Maybe even uh, 
jet set over to Europe and uh, do the good cause. Our, our veterinarian, Dr. Cliff, uh, seeing some pictures on Instagram on him. He was a, he's a veterinarian for the Wellington Vet Hospital. Uh, he's gone over to Poland uh, to take in some injured animals from the Ukraine and uh, giving them some care. He's working really hard and doing a good job. And his, his GoFundMe page, uh, he managed to raise $59,000. Uh, quite fascinating uh, what you can do with technology. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the market right now isn't that keen on technology. Uh, it likes stuff. Yes, if you drop it on your foot and it hurts, it's stuff. You know, a pound of copper, a barrel of oil, a bushel of wheat. Um, you know, Jack used to work on a sod farm. Um, I guess you could have also worked out in the prairies, eh, Jack? Uh, lifting bales of hay and throwing them up in the back of the uh, the trailer as they take it in. Yeah, yeah, I think all the soft commodities are up too, Wolf, with the, especially with wheat. You know, Ukraine, I think, and Russia supply a third of uh, the world's wheat. So I guess bread prices are going up at the grocery store as well, Wolf. Yeah, well, so again, you worked on a sod farm, and 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 uh, yeah. I remember last year I went and bought some sod, and I needed one more roll, and by the afternoon it was gone, uh, sold out. They couldn't keep the sod in stock, and of course that sod uh, requires fertilizer, nutrients of stock that we own. Uh, stock's done so well. Uh, it's a former agrium and potash, and uh, well, again, uh, one of the largest, the world's largest potash producer, or second largest, I think, is in Russia. Uh, take that offline and. Well, now Nutrient uh, gets more attention. Uh, Martin Roberge, our North American strategist, uh, graciously spending some time with us. Before the break, uh, he said there is a 50% chance that we go into recession. Um, I said, don't bring me down, buddy. Cued up the Beatles song. was close <laughs> enough. Uh, close enough <laughs> for the cause. Um, Martin, talk to us about that. Uh, the economy's hot. Inflation's running. Uh, employment uh, is full in the United States. Uh, and, and and you see signs of a recession? No, but you see you see the signs through uh, the yield curve, with various uh, segments of the yield curve uh, flattening and turning or inverting one after the other. Uh, so the, just for the uh, the listeners, like the yield curve is the spread between long term bonds and short term bonds. And when short term bonds are rising because inflation is rising. Long-term bonds will rise as well, but they will eventually rise less if, if they believe that the rate hikes will eventually uh, slow the economy down. So this is not something for the next quarter or, 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 or even the second half of the year. This is more something that we have to pay attention to for next year because the curves, when they invert, uh, normally a year after the inversion, uh, we have at least a, a growth scare if it's not a recession. And we think that those curves will probably be the inverting in the second half of, of this year and probably project a, a, a slowdown in 2023. But for now, it's not going to happen because we still have, as you mentioned, the, the service side of the economy uh, that is that has to, to have its cycle. Like we, we bought stuff, now we're, we're, we're doing stuff. And this is going to be the, the story of, of 2023. Uh, but we feel that once we get the service uh, cycle um, being kind of consumed, uh, it's, it's, it's get, it gets to a point where uh, consumer, uh, the, the, the propensity for consumers to spend either on goods or on services um, will be emptied or will get close to an end. And this is when normally you're going to get the impact of rate hikes biting on the economy as well. 
So this is something that we see more in 2023, but normally the market will, will t- try to discount this slowdown or recession a, 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 like a year in advance. So this is why, um, as we said before, uh, now it's, I think it's still okay to be in the value name, the cyclical name, but the second half of the year could look way different than the first half of the year. Um, Martin, I, I need to ask you, uh, because the yield curves speak about when short-term interest rates get above long-term interest rates, the, the, the market or the economy goes into recession. The reason being is because banks stop lending money because they won't make money on it. The yield curve did invert. Jack, uh, Martin, what, about three years ago? Um, did the, the economy did not go into a recession because of the yield curve um, inverting. COVID came along that knocked us into a yeah. self-inflicted recession. What is the accuracy of the yield curve inverting and then putting us into a recession versus a growth scare? But one thing is, is, is we, we have to keep in, in, in mind is that when you have various segments, like it's not only like the 10-2, the, uh, the 5-2, but when you get the 5-3 as well, and you get there, there, like, there are several segments of the yield curve that are inverting at the same time. Well, this is one red flag among many other indicators that we ask. We, we, right. we, we look at. So it's like we have what we call a bear market timing indicator at Canaccord that we track every month. And it gives us also uh, a perspective on, on the risk of, of, the, of, of a recession. So it's, it's one key indicator, but it's not all. We think, we think we're going to see uh, red flags, if not yellow flags, from the other indicators that, that we follow. And uh, this is when probably you're going to see also, the impact of the increase in bond yields, the increase in energy prices, oil, the increase in the U.S. dollar, taking their toll on the economy. Uh, there's a lag of about six months. So, so we'll, we'll pay attention and warn, uh, not warn, but uh, uh, inform uh, the advisors uh, when we get those yellow, if not red flags in due time, probably a, a, around the summer. Okay, so basically you're saying once the bond market has the yield curve invert, i.e. short-term interest rates go above long-term interest rates, that then gives you about a one-year time horizon before the yeah. economy could potentially go into recession. Hence, that could push recession out to 2023 or 2024. Uh, Jack, please uh, pipe in here. Yeah, to answer your question there, uh, out of the gate, Wolf, um, I, I believe it inverted around 2018, uh, my best guess. And then actually the Fed, uh, Powell, started cutting rates again. So uh, it actually looked like we were headed for a soft landing, meaning, you know, the, the economy was slowing down. The Federal Reserve was being more accommodative. And it looked like going into 2020, uh, we were not going to go into a recession, meaning that they started to reaccelerate growth. And then sort of out of nowhere, um, obviously COVID hit uh, and completely stopped the economy. So it was, a, like you said, a self-induced recession when the governments went out and uh, stopped the economy. And then they sent out, obviously, stimulus checks uh, to, to individuals to, to bridge the gap. And we're sort of dealing with the consequences of that now, right? You give people free money and you lock them in their rooms or in their houses, what are they going to do? They're going to, you know, fix their house or going to fix their basement, do a deck, do a, a fence, whatever the case. And you can see the price of lumber doing what it's doing. Um, but as Martin said, you know, you can only fix your basement once or uh, rent all your basement once. Once all that stuff is done, uh, you get the transition into services. So it's funny how it, it's all linked together. 
But uh, getting back to your original question, Wolf, uh, it looked like we were in for a soft landing and then COVID sort of uh, sideswiped uh, the recovery. Well, my friends, that's it for the show. Another Saturday night. Time flies on all levels, I must say. Uh, Martin Roberge, always a pleasure to, to get your insight. Uh, I do appreciate the work that you publish and send to Jack and I each and every week. You're a key member on the Wolf on Bay Street team. Uh, right. Jack, great job as always. Uh, friends at home, please, any questions, never hesitate to give us a call. Visit us, wolfgangkline.com. want to wish you a great weekend, and please pray hard for those uh, in the Ukraine and those innocent Russian civilians as well. It's affecting everyone. May the conflict end. God bless you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.